The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type, Easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in Friday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, JJ Johnson-Stremski, rocking, rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And this is a jam-packed smorgasbord of material to send you off into your weekend. We will get to the reeling Mets. We will get to the surging New York Yankees in a little bit, but it has been Quite the 48 hours for the New York Knickerbockers. And I know it's not exactly the Knickerbockers getting the billboard splash in the sense of Dame Lillard or Kawhi Leonard or what have you. But I think they have had themselves a pretty good couple of days starting Wednesday with the news that the local boy, Kemba Walker, is going to be back at Madison Square Garden. No, he's not going to be wearing a UConn uniform with the crossover step and the game winners. Well, maybe there'll be a few game winners, but it's going to be Kemba Walker wearing a New York Knickerbocker uniform. And I have to admit, I was very surprised when I saw this news come my way because with these buyouts and with the Celtics and the Thunder making that trade, Hartford involved, I kind of figured with Kemba, They'll play half the year in OKC. They'll be miserable. They'll buy him out then. And then all of the, quote unquote, winning teams and contending teams will kind of make their play. I did not anticipate it would happen that quickly. Thunder buy him out. Wanted to return home. Said so a year ago on R2C2. He seriously considered the idea of being a New York Nick. And now Kemba Walker gets a chance for a homecoming. I think you have to keep the expectations reasonable. Don't think that you are getting 
all-star Kemba Walker. Don't think that you are getting UConn Kemba Walker because for the last two years with the Boston Celtics, he was destroyed with injuries, definitely looked like a guy who lost a step, and is clearly not the same all-star point guard that he once was. But still a guy last year who basically averaged a little under 20 points per game throughout the season. I think he's in a really good spot with the Knicks. First of all, I think he's going to be motivated being back home. I think that will have a positive impact on him. Playing in front of the home crowd, playing at Madison Square Garden, I think it's going to bring out the very best in him. The other thing I like about Walker coming in, you don't need him to play a boatload of minutes because you can kind of put him in that mix alongside Derrick Rose. Another guy who you don't want playing a ton of minutes throughout the regular season. So from that lead guard spot, Walker, Rose, quickly, I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. I think that's very shrewd business by Leon Rose and by World Wide West. It's not a crazy contract. It's not going to bend you over backwards. Somebody like that comes available, smart move for the Knicks. Smart move. I see that, it fires me up. And, you know, I like Kemba Walker when I can actually root for a UConn guy. I root for Dan Hurley now. But, I mean, aside from that, the Calhoun-UConn teams, I could not stand. But I respected the hell out of them. And Kemba Walker is one of those guys I've had a ton of respect for watching him for years in the NBA. So, for that price, and with my expectations being measured, I think it's a solid, smart, shrewd pickup for the New York Knicks. Now we get to the second big news to report in the last 48 hours, and that's Julius Randle getting the extension. It's a monster extension, but it's not a crippling extension for the New York Knickerbockers. A four-year, $117 million deal, elevating his deals total to five years and 140 because he got a player option on the final season in 25-26. And do I have questions about whether or not Randle is going to be able to be as good and as productive as he was a season ago? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. Yes, I think he was exposed in that first round series against the Atlanta Hawks. But let's not lose sight of what he gave the Knicks throughout the regular season. A guy who played every night, busted his ass every night, got better. You got to reward that as a franchise. Because there is such a thing as stigma that can be attached to you as a franchise for better or for worse in the league. The stigma that would be attached to the Knicks if this guy who they brought in, he busts his butt, he works, he gets better, he does this, he does that, and then all of a sudden they're going to play hardball with Julius Randle and not going to keep him? Some players around the league are going to say, well, you're you're disloyal. I don't want to play for you. You don't have the right vibe and mentality that I am looking for. And then you look at the money. And I've learned now with these NBA contracts, my perception of the dollars and cents is just not what it should be. And I own that because I look at some of these deals and I'm like, holy crap, that's a ton of money. Like the Evan Fournier deal from a couple of days ago. But then you break it down and you kind of do the comparisons and you see what all the guys are getting around the league. That's just the going rate of doing business. Randall could have gotten more money if he played it out next year 
and then went into free agency, and then the contract would have been cost $200 million. Thankfully, the Knicks, not in that predicament. I think Randall wanted to be here. I think the Knicks wanted to keep Julius Randall. I think it is a good contract for both parties. That's the way I look at it. It's a good deal for the Knicks to kind of show the league, hey, we're taking care of one of our own. We are rewarding one of our own. It is not a back-breaking contract looking at only a four-year term for a guy who was an all-star last season. And listen, maybe it's not $200 million for Julius Randle, but I think anybody listening to this podcast would like those dollars and cents attached to their name. Maybe not Bill Simmons. I I think that might be under the Bill Simmons uh, threshold. Aside from that, I I think all of us would be A-OK with that sort of deal. The ringer wants to offer me that in my next contract. I'd be more than happy to accept. Let's put it that way. I'd be more than happy to accept than some. I think I might do the shows outside. I might sing on the street if I was offered that lump sum of money. Maybe in another life. Maybe, maybe, maybe in another life. But it's a good couple of days for the New York Knickerbockers. And look, I want everybody to be aware of this with the franchise. They're doing it the right way. They got competent people in place. I feel really good about the direction the franchise is headed in. With all that being said, don't be surprised if they're tough, gritty, and a seventh seed next year. Because the conference is good. Brooklyn, nice Patty Mills signing, by the way. Milwaukee, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Miami, Chicago's improved. There's a lot of competition in the Eastern Conference. So, the biggest key for the Knicks is laying that groundwork and being ready for whenever that big move is coming. And it will come at some point. But you got to push your chips in the middle of the table and say, hey, guess what? We're now all in on whoever that next star player may be. We're all in. You got to be ready for that. That was not available to them here in this offseason. Because the Lillard stuff was exactly that, a pipe dream. Pipe dream. Keep doing it the right way. And it kind of feels like field of dreams. How apropos with that game coming up next week. If you build it, they will come. That's my hope. If you build it, they will come. We'll get a sense for the Nick offseason as a whole. The great Ian Begley is going to join us. And it is a loaded baseball weekend. Gigantic, gigantic games for both the Mets and the Yankees in August. Summertime, New York City. It doesn't get better than this. We got a lot more to do. The great Ian Begley is up next. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So after what was a pretty crazy and chaotic 48 hours for the New York Knickerbockers and with NBA free agency starting to wind down a little bit, I think now it's safe to welcome in one of the best insiders in the business. Good pal of mine. You see him all the time on SNY. They make him look pretty, which, listen, they can make me look pretty on TV. 
that's a hell of an accomplishment. But let's talk some <laughs> Nick and Net basketball with all main man, Ian Begley. What's up, Begs? Listen, JJ, I think everybody over there deserves a raise for making me look presentable. So I, I'm with you over there. But uh, everything's good, bro. How are you? I mean, yeah, things, knock on wood, winding down. I mean, anything crazy can happen at any time, but it seems like we're at that place. We're rounding third here. Perfect timing to have you on, considering the last 48 hours. The Knicks surprising some people with this Kemba Walker news. He gets bought out by Oklahoma City. The Knicks bring him in. But I want to start with Randall. Randall gets this extension. He could have taken a little bit more money if he wanted to. He's still getting paid a boatload. And I think it kind of signals to teams around the NBA, hey, look, we saw somebody we believed in. We put the time, the resources, the investment into him, and everybody is happy. I think the Knicks are happy with this deal. I think Randall is definitely happy with this deal. Is this something that you think, Ian, as a whole, will be received well amongst players and people and just the league, that buzz as a whole? You expect that to be the case? I do. Yeah, it's a great point, JJ. And I think, you know, it's more so what Julius Randle did last season, which nobody really saw coming. Uh, you know, all-NBA season, all-star season, really leading the Knicks to the fourth seed in the East. And so... If you have that kind of player, make that kind of jump and really give your franchise a boost that you didn't think was coming, you should take care of them. And I think when you do take care of them, players notice that, agents notice that. But if you didn't take care of them, players and agents would notice that too. And I think, so this, this to me sends a good message um, about the Knicks to players in the league. And so does taking care of Derrick Rose because Derrick Rose you wouldn't have been where you were last year without Derrick Rose. And it's interesting because a couple of days before free agency, like leading into that last weekend, some teams thought that the Knicks would want Derrick Rose to go out and, and gauge his own market, you know, get offers from other teams before they came with their own offer. And to me, that would have been an easy way to lose Derrick Rose because he might have felt, you know, disrespected. And then if you're the Knicks, you're not re-signing Derrick Rose after he lifts you to where he lifted you last year, that wouldn't be a good look around the league. So I think both of those deals, the Rose and the Randall deals, bode well for the Knicks from a PR perspective with players. And a sense I get, Ian, even though it's a ton of money, it's not one of those killer, killer contracts that's going to just destroy you now for the next five, six, seven years. Like, this is the sort of deal that I can live with from a Knicks fan standpoint. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is team friendly. If Julius Randle, even if he takes a dip and, and doesn't put up the exact same numbers he did last year over the course of this contract, even if the numbers are a little bit lower, it is still a great value deal. I think I wish I could give credit to the person who tweeted it, but somebody said he'd be like the 45th or 46th highest paid player in the league. Wow, that's pretty basis. crazy to think about, man. Yeah. 45th so, to 40. I saw Porzingis. Annually, he's making more money than uh, Randall. And who would take yeah. Porzingis at this point over Randall? Not a soul. And, right. And that's the thing. Like, if you if he went to free agency next summer, and let's say he played at 90%, 85% of what he did last year, if he hits free agency as an unrestricted free agent, somebody's giving him max money. And it would have probably had to be the Knicks. So the Knicks would have then paid him $200 million over you know uh, the life of this extension in one other year, you look at it that way, it is a really good deal for the Knicks. Julius Randle, I thought he was going to wait. I thought he was going to test the market. Uh, to me, it's smart, though. Get your money, 
look at Victor Oladipo. Like he turned down a couple of extensions, and then he got hurt, and now he's signing a minimum contracts and and hoping for the best. So he took his money when it was in front of him, which made a lot of sense, and it, it makes him look good because he's taking less money than he could. You could say hey, now I'm helping the team with a little more flexibility moving forward. I wasn't following the Kemba Walker buyout situation with Oklahoma City because, to be honest with you, Ian, I thought it was something we talk about in January or February. He'd play a couple of months with OKC. Yeah. They wouldn't be particularly good. And then he'd go latch on with a veteran team maybe at the second half of the year. Yep. Uh, were you surprised with the way this all shook out? And I think from a Knicks standpoint, look, you got to be reasonable with Walker. You can't expect him to be the player he was a couple of years ago with the Charlotte Bobcats, Hornets, whatever the hell their team name was. <laughs> and he's not going to be the star that he was at UConn when he lit up the Big East tournament, but he's got New York City in his blood. I think he's the perfect complement to Derrick Rose. And considering what the Knicks gave him, I can't find a downside with this move. And it seems like a low-risk, high-reward potential move. And yeah, this is not the Kemba that was lighting up the garden when you were drinking beers at Syracuse, watching them kill your orange. It was, this is a Kemba of, of post knee injury, serious knee injury. And so I think you have to you tamp down your expectations. If, if you weren't aware of how Kemba played over the last year, year and a half, really the bubble is when, when he, I think he really hurt himself. And so this injury is going to be something that they deal with and that Kemba deals with. And wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, maybe sits out of back-to-back here and there or it gets managed that way. And that impacts his game, as you know. But still, even after the All-Star break last year, he still put up 20 points a game. Uh, I think five rebounds, four assists. So he's still an effective player, even if he doesn't have that burst to where it was, you know, when he was in Charlotte. And for the Knicks, you have him, you have Derrick Rose, two guys who can play like, you know, 20-plus minutes a night. And then you've got Emmanuel quickly. So I think... You're in good shape at the lead guard spot and getting Kemba Walker is not something that I thought was going to happen. Like you said, JJ, I thought OKC was going to play him for a few months, build up his value and then trade him. I guess they they thought otherwise and it's to the next benefit. I have a really hard time gauging some of these NBA contracts, Ian, because I know it's drastically changing and the market is just totally different than what it was five years, 10 years ago, whatever. But I see the Evan Fournier contract. I know he's a good shooter. I know he played well in the Olympics. I know he puts up points. That just seemed like crazy, crazy money to me. Is it crazy money or is it kind of the nature of the beast? If you shoot it now in this modern day NBA, you're going to get paid. Yeah, I think it's more so the latter, JJ. I mean, if you look at other gar- other deals for shooting guards, I mean, the Tim Hardaway deal, similar. Uh, I think Timmy's making more money. but if you, if you can shoot the ball, you're going to get paid. And I think, I, I wish I could, again, credit this person who did the research because I'm too lazy to do it. I don't think Fournier is like top five at his position as far as the contract, which makes sense because it's Evan Fournier, but it just tells you that like this was a, a deal that the market dictated. It wasn't, it doesn't seem to be like an overpay to me. Now, you know, if he gets hurt, if he can't make a shot in year two, and every and the wheels fall off, then it's an overpay. But based on his history, and it's certainly what the Knicks needed, doesn't seem like an overpay to me today. Uh, you get the sense he can buy in and fit in in the defensive-minded Tom Thibodeau system? Because that's one of the concerns I have. You play for Tibbs. You know this, Ian. You got to get after it on defense. 48 throughout his career has not played any, any defense. Is that 
a little bit of warming or you sign with the Knicks, bro. Uh, you got to play D. You got no choice. Yeah, you have to guard. You have to guard. And But I think also, like, you know, these teams do so much research on players before they make an investment. So I have to think that the Knicks have realistic expectations of Fournier on the defensive end. Um, and But I do think that he's got to at least give you effort because if you're not giving effort on that side of the floor, you're not going to play for Tom Thibodeau. Uh, that's interesting, though, to me, JJ, too, is because you're losing Reggie Bullock, right? And you're gaining Evan Fournier. And it's easy to say, like, yeah, offensively, you're going to be better. But Bullock was such an important part of that Nick defense last year. They, they talked about him all year long as a guy who took on the opponent's leading score, took on that challenge one-on-one defensively, and he put up great numbers defensively. So there's going to be a drop-off there when you talk about Alfred Payton to Kemba Walker, Reggie Bullock to Evan Fournier. You're going to score more, but I wonder what it's going to do to the defense. All in all, you look at the last couple of days in free agency. For the most part, the Knicks are bringing this team back. A few minor tweaks, Fournier in, Kemba Walker in. Are you A-OK in with this offseason? I mean, I wasn't delusional. I didn't expect anything crazy to happen, you know, as far as the trade goes. I mean, the Dame Lillard rumors to me were a pipe dream. So I'm A-OK with what they've done over the last few days. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, it made sense. It, it made sense to me. I think that eventually you're going to have to take your home run swing if you're this front office or really any front office. You're going to have to take your home run swing and you have to, to base, another baseball analogy, like pick out your pitch, swing at your pitch and, and try to try to drive the ball because you're not going to get too many pitches. You're not going to get too many opportunities to go after a superstar. So I can understand why they haven't made a push yet to get a player like at Randall's level or above because the opportunity wasn't right. But eventually, you have to make that move. You have to try. And so, on one hand, I understand why it hasn't come yet. On the other hand, that's got to be a part of the way we look at this regime, like, overall. Like, where are they going to bring in a star? Are they bringing stars in? So, that, to me, is TBD. But I do understand why they didn't go all in on anybody uh, this summer because you look at the options. You know, Kyle Lowry, three-year deal. He's going to be old at the end of that contract. Same thing for Chris Paul and Mike Conley. And everybody else was kind of a question mark. So I get it. I get the approach. I just, uh, at some point, you're going to have to swing for a star here. If you're Leon. Well, Murray, I guess that's the question, right? Ian, when is that going to be? I think yeah. it's impossible to gauge at this point, right? Because, yeah, we can look at free agency classes. We could talk about next summer or the following summer. You know how this works in the league. Somebody becomes disgruntled. Yeah. Somebody wants out. And that's yeah. what I like about where the Knicks are at right now. If they're in a position that player A or player B or player C says, well, I want out, they could kind of throw their chips to the middle of the table and say, all right, let's go make uh, a swing at this thing. Yeah, they really can. And they've, they've been in that position for a while now, and it's a credit to the previous regime, Scott Perry, Steve Mills, the moves they didn't make in keeping the picks. So they have this treasure chest of first-round picks. I think it's six over the next four years where you have a lot of ammo from a draft perspective. And then the other thing to look at JJ's, I think with the contracts they sign, it will be tough for them to have enough money for a max free agent next summer. But I think the following summer, you will have that flexibility uh, easily. So they do have flexibility to kind of go in either direction. And also you look at these young players, right? The Barrett's, the Quickly's, the Toppins, and the two players they drafted most recently. If these players kind of take a step up, if they, you know, uh, level up, as the kids say, 
this year or next year, then they're looked at as valuable trade chips too, because they're on rookie deals. They're on team controlled contracts. So you're looking at a, a Nick team that I don't think they could be golden state for one of their trade packages. Like you're not trading and you don't have a James Weissman to trade. Um, I don't think you could beat Philadelphia for one of their trade packages. There's no Ben Simmons on this team, but after those two, it seems like the Knicks have a pretty, pretty good trade package when you look at other teams around the league that might be looking to make a big trade. You know, the amazing thing thinking about their team, Ian, I think they're better. I think they'll be competitive like they were a year ago, but it's going to be tough to find yourself in the top four of the Eastern Conference. Like, I think it's important for fans to understand that the Knicks can be doing it the right way, that they can be going about their process, doing this, doing that, and Milwaukee's better, Brooklyn is better, Philly is better, Miami is better, Atlanta is better. So they could play hard and give you a good brand of basketball every night. And it might only be good enough to be a six or a seven seed with the way this conference looks right about now. There's no doubt. And and don't forget about Chicago really upgrading too. So it, the conference as a whole got tougher. The teams around the Knicks and clearly ahead of the Knicks got tougher. And so there's every, every reason to think that a good season for the Knicks, uh, a season where they meet their expectations could be like, sixth seed, seventh seed, just because of the strength of the conference. Uh, But the interesting thing for me is like, I remember I was having a conversation with a respected basketball writer. I'm not going to use the person's name, but we were going through the the off season last summer. And he was rightfully saying like on paper, the Knicks were the 10th best team in the East. And it made total sense. Like you would have seen it play out that way at that point, but things happen, right? This Hawks suffered a lot of injuries. The Bulls suffered some injuries, didn't come together the way people thought they were. So on paper, it it looks one way, and then it always plays out a little bit differently during the year. So I think what we're saying right now is logical, six seed, seven seed. But somebody's going to backslide, somebody's going to sneak up, and then the picture kind of gets jumbled up. You know, from a net standpoint, I love the Patty Mills move. That yeah. guy can ball out, man. He is a gamer. He is a winner. And yes. to have him coming off the bench... I mean, it's one of those moves, Ian, that's not going to get a lot of love because it's not one of the sexy, you know, ballyhooed big names that are out there. Patty Nils to Brooklyn. I mean, coming off the bench, fabulous, fabulous move by Marks and Nash. Yeah, brilliant move, really. I, I totally agree with you because of what he can bring. But you're also looking to win a championship. He's got experience at the highest stage of the game. And so he knows how to perform at that stage, whereas... Not to single anybody out, but like if you're going to rely on a Nick Claxton, he hasn't been there before. But now you have a Patty Mills who not only can perform night in and night out, but has that experience performing on a big stage. So just a phenomenal signing, I thought, as well by Brooklyn. And then, you know, you look at the Spencer Dinwiddie trade. You know, you look at over the past 18 months, I thought maybe they could have done a little bit better there. Um, But I understand maybe why they didn't move him at that point. And so here we are with the Nets. Maybe they have a couple more moves up their sleeve, but to bring back, uh, excuse me, to bring on a Patty Mills to the roster that you already had, uh, to me, was a really, really impressive move. And credit Joe Sy, because I think that Patty Mills contract, whatever it came in at, it's going to cost him that times two or two and a half because of the luxury tax. He's willing to pay it when you got a championship caliber team. It's definitely worth your while. Final one. And... I was not surprised by our old pal Carmelo Anthony finding his way to join forces with LeBron. To me, Mm -hmm. it's a move that could have happened a couple of years ago, and maybe Carmelo already has a championship ring. The one that shocked me, though, Ian, 
Westbrook going to the Lakers. Because yeah. you know at the end of these games, LeBron wants the ball in his hands. So what is Westbrook just going to take the load off throughout the regular season? Like in the playoffs and in big games, Westbrook makes mistakes, can't shoot it, and is a ball-dominant player. I don't like the fit for the Lakers at all. Were you totally caught off guard with the idea of Russ Westbrook finding his way to La La Land? Yeah, I was. I was just from a fit standpoint, because I can understand why he would want to make the move and, and get out of Washington. But I didn't really understand it from a fit standpoint for the Lakers, because in, in, in Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they can knock shots down from the perimeter, but it's not like they are, uh, you know, lighting the league up from beyond the arc. And so you already had not a ton of shooting on that roster and you add somebody who, as you said, JJ, is going to have the ball in his hands a lot and is not known as a shooter. You're really shrinking the floor. And I know they brought in shooting Malik Monk. They brought in a couple of shooters. So those guys can help you spread the floor. But just from a general fit, it's hard to see it make 100% sense on paper. Great players usually figure it out, especially LeBron James. So maybe he and Anthony Davis adjust and make it work. But just generally putting the concept out there, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, I hope that the summertime in the month of August now is going to be a little bit more chill and relaxed for you. I know you got summer league coming up in a few weeks. Wonderful. But I hope there's a nice Ian Begley vacation in store before the, uh, the start of the next NBA season, my man. I appreciate you, brother. If there isn't, my wife may change the locks on me. So I'm I understand for the same that. Thing. I'm well aware, bro. <laughs> Listen, you got a happy wife, happy life. Listen, bro, you've been great all season, man. Great work all around. And I have a feeling we'll be catching up before this NBA season gets started. That's just a hunch. We'd love to do it, my friend. Anytime, anywhere. Always appreciate you. Love the show. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure having on our dude, the great Ian Begley. Now, we have not gotten to the free-falling New York Mets who have their biggest series of the year coming up against the Philadelphia Phillies. And my goodness, panic is alive and well amongst the Met fan. Rightfully so. We'll get to that. Yankees big weekend coming up. Voicemails galore right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Great stuff there from our pal Ian Begley. Now, let's get to the disaster that is the New York Mets. And I have tried to be the guy to talk some of you off the ledge and I tried to walk you away from Panic City going into this particular series against the Miami Marlins because I was actually dumb enough to think that the Mets would go to Miami and play well this weekend. Well, the Mets, quite frankly, are lucky they didn't get swept in this four-game series where the Marlins didn't even have their two best pitchers going in the series. The story remains the same for this baseball team. They don't hit. They don't hit. Even when the Marlins and some good luck is coming your way in the top half of the ninth inning, a couple of errors, a ball hitting the pitcher's mound, you're thinking, all right, it's set up for a little drama to get you into Philadelphia with a split. Doesn't happen. 
The Mets continue to stink up the joint. They lose 4-2. to two. And listen to these numbers with runners on base. I don't want to hear anybody killing Familia today. Because you know what? When you score two runs, you deserve to lose the game. This game is not about Familia. Any Mets fan is going to make the argument to me, oh, it's about Familia. Take it and stick it with a sun don't shine. Give me a break. Your team doesn't hit. The Mets left a small village on the base pass. They left 15 runners on base. 15 runners. Can't expect to win that way. That is a losing subpar brand of baseball. And I know Baez had a big home run on Wednesday. And I know he plays really good defense and he plays with a ton of energy. You got the bad Javi Baez on Thursday. That is the bad Javi Baez. 0 for 5 with the platinum sombrero. Not the golden sombrero. The platinum sombrero. Including a big strikeout late in the game. Baez swings at anything. That's the book on Javi Baez. He swings at anything. And I'm okay with having a slasher in your lineup. I, I, especially in this modern day baseball that we live in. I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with a slasher who's going to strike out like that. It's unacceptable. 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts is a tough look. And here's the biggest problem for the Mets. They will now take on a team this weekend that is playing their best brand of baseball in the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I know they took on a national team that has sold off everybody. But you start to get a sense with teams if they have found it. When you're down to your last strike and you find a way to tie the game with JT Riamuto and then you end up winning the game in the ninth inning and you go and sweep the Washington Nationals, that is when I start thinking to myself, maybe this team has a little magic going for the first time all year. Well, the Philadelphia Phillies have their smallest deficit within this division since May. They are a half game back of the Mets. Half game back with three games coming up at Citizens Bank Park. Friday night, Saturday late afternoon, we will do a Spotify green room right after the game on Saturday, probably around 7.30, 8 o'clock. You guys follow the Met game. You'll know when we're going to be on and check it out on Twitter. And then they play on Sunday afternoon. All of the momentum is on the side of the Phillies going into this weekend. The Mets are reeling between not having Jacob DeGrom and not having Francisco Lindor and not hitting offensively at all. And the pitching is starting to catch up with him a little bit. Stroman has admitted is good. Taiwan Walker has been awful since the All-Star break. You don't feel great about their chances of winning two out of three this weekend. Now, my caveat to that would be the Mets, historically speaking, normally play very well in this ballpark. And if there's one particular element that just might get the Met bats going. It's the idea of playing in this ballpark. Summer weekend, the ball is going to be flying out of Philadelphia. And to me, that is where the Mets got to take advantage. They got to score some runs this weekend. They can't be leaving 15 runners on base and think they're going to win these games. They got to hit a couple of balls out of the ballpark. And that's where you look to your best players. That's where Alonzo needs to step up. Alonzo needs to have a big weekend. 
He's a power guy. That is a power ballpark. Go hit a couple of home runs this week. And for the Mets, in order to rechange the narrative, you got to go win two out of three. Now, these narratives change a lot in baseball. Think about the Yankees and the Mets for a second. Think about where the Mets were a month ago. Think about where the Yankees were a month ago. And think about where we're at right here and right now. These narratives change. You got to nip this baby in the butt now. Enough. With all these games against the Dodgers, the Giants coming up, Philly's got momentum. They're a half game out. Strowman's got to win on Friday night. My memo to the Mets is simple. Go get two out of three. Find a way, somehow, some way, to leave Citizens Bank Park still in first place. Because if you lose this series, you will not be in first place. Think about how crazy that sounds. This division looked like it was in cruise control a couple of weeks ago. The Mets let these teams hang around. Now you're getting the ugly result of that. Whole lot of agita coming up this weekend. Biggest series of the year, and it is not even close. You have to win this series. Just for their mental psyche more than anything. Because you lose first place. You wonder about how that team is going to continue to slip. Now, we go from the reeling Mets to the surging New York Yankees, who had an outstanding win to kick off this four-game series against the Seattle Mariners. The Yankees got a well-pitched game from Nestor Cortez. Green gives up the home run to Kellenic. They're not scoring runs. This kind of gave you some flashbacks to Monday night with their approach offensively. Left a couple runners on base, Glaber, Stanton, and they're down a run going into the seventh inning. This way you give the Yankee bats some credit. Judge gets it going with a hit. Stanton, who we rag on a ton, put together a really good at bat, laced the base hit up the middle to the right center field. And it set the stage for Joey Gallo who has been slumping since he came over from the Texas Rangers, goes Yahtzee, barely. Now, if you follow launch angle or whatever, it's out in about 15 stadiums because of the height of his home run. But watching it live, the first thing I'm wondering about is, is it fair? The second thing I'm wondering about, does it have enough? Yes on both counts. Love the fire. Love the fuck yes. From Joey Gallo as he's rounding the bases. Because that's basically how every Yankee fan felt as you were watching that home run. Gigantic, gigantic home run. Gallo, as we always love to joke about, has his Yankee moment. He needed a Yankee moment. And he picked up the team in a big way. And don't tell me that lefty power doesn't matter at Yankee Stadium. The nerds who tried to make that argument. Go take it and stick it up somewhere. I don't care. Throw it in some trash bin for all I care. Lefty power matters at Yankee Stadium. Because guess what? The Yankees have looked like a different team since Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo were brought into the fold. Their lineup is a whole lot tougher to pitch to. Can't fight me on that. Was it easy after the Gallo home run? Of course not. Puff for the course for the Yankees in 2021. Britain puts a couple of guys on base, has to turn a nifty double play. And then Chapman, who has been really good since the Met meltdown. It's been really good. Did not have it tonight. You could tell. It's obvious with Chapman. No fastball command. Didn't want to throw it. He puts a couple runners on base. 
It looks like he's going to get the final out. The ball basically didn't deflect off Jared Kelenic. Clayton Torres is shielded. And then it's bases loaded, two outs with Hanniger at the plate. And I'm like, oh, geez. Should Aaron Boone yank Chapman out of this game and go to Wiseguy? Because that's what I was thinking. He was around 26, 27 pitches. Very, very tough spot. Very, very tough spot. Hanniger missed what would have been a three-run homer, go-ahead homer, by that much. Off the bat, I thought it was gone. I had that not in my stomach. But Thursday's hero, Joey Gallo, camps under it. The Yankees win yet again. They gain a game on the Boston Red Sox yet again. And all of a sudden, you look at the standings within the wild card race. The Yankees are one back in the loss of Oakland. They're a game and a half back for that second spot. If you look at the first wild card, the Yankees are only four games back. Three in a loss of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, my goodness. They have made up a whole lot of ground in a short amount of time. They're five and a half back at Tampa. I'm not even thinking about Tampa at this point. The Yankees got to get themselves in playoff positioning, but they are there. Now, they're going to have their hands full this weekend. You want to know why? They have no pitching. I don't know who's pitching on Friday. Heaney is pitching on Saturday, and if he's going to pitch the way he did against Baltimore, the Yankees are not getting much because Seattle's a much better hitting team. And then I believe on Sunday, I guess it's Gill. Yeah, it's the kid who pitched fabulously against the Orioles. The Yankees could find a way to win two of the next three. I, I'd be thrilled. Their recipe and their blueprint to win these games until Cole and Montgomery and their star Severino and their starters come back, they got a match. Thankfully, the lineup got a couple of guys who are more than capable of doing so. So, reeling Mets, surging Yankees. Baseball narratives shifting like crazy here in the Big Apple. Crazy. Absolutely insane. The Yankees, 10 games over 500 for the first time all year. How about that? Voicemail time. Now, in case you're wondering, how do I leave a voicemail in New York, New York? You should know by now. I mean, we've done a bunch of these. You shouldn't be an amateur, but you know what? I'm a nice guy. I'm in a good mood. 917-382-1151 is how you get in touch with the show. It's very easy. It's very simple. 917-382-1151. Very curious to see where these go. Saruti, let's get it going with a bang, baby. Hey, what's up, JJ? Jake from Jersey. Longtime fan. Finally had a call. It's over for the mess. It's over. It's over. It's over. I'm sick of watching Armando Benitez. I mean, Jared Familia. Fucking suck. I'm sick of Conforto sucking. It's over. We're going out west. It's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. We're probably going to get destroyed by the Phillies this weekend. And you want Buckshow Walter? I want Buckshow Walter. Javi Baez, five strikeouts. Are you fucking kidding me? I was excited to watch this, listen to this game while I'm working today. Nice mid-afternoon. Forget it. It's over. Later, JJ. I feel your pain, buddy. I feel your pain. Now, familiar should not be your whipping boy with what happened on Thursday. Your lineup leaving 15 guys on base is the far bigger issue. It's the far bigger problem. Your bullpen is not going to be perfect every single night. And for the most part, Familia has thrown the ball really well for the Mets this year. The Mets have allowed these teams in the NL East to get right back into this division because the Phillies are probably feeling their oats. Now, the Braves, 
what's amazing about the Braves is I think they're more dangerous than the Phillies. But every time I think they're about to get it going, they get to 500, they lose. They get to 500, they lose. That's their MO. So you wonder if it's just one of those years for Atlanta. But this is now crisis mode for the Mets. I'm not going to sugarcoat it anymore. I'm not going to lecture you on the standings in first place and this and that because now it's a half game and it's the biggest weekend of the year. And my question is, are the Mets ready for what's coming for them in Philadelphia? Because it's going to be a very confident, spunky Philadelphia team. I'd be worried about my team going in this weekend, 1,000%. Now, maybe they play well. Maybe the Phillies are exactly what the Mets need at this point. I don't know. But they've played lousy baseball now for about six and a half weeks. JJ, this is Clayton from New Jersey. Again, another Mets season just down the tubes. I don't know what to do. I mean, they have a lead. Uh, You expect this offense that everybody came out and said, you know, it's going to be great all year. Conforto can't do a damn thing. Uh, The only person on the offense that does anything is Dom Smith and and Pete Alonso. Everybody else stinks. They all stink. The pitching, they got no bullpen. Uh, Lugo's been awful lately. Diaz sucks. I mean, this team is just. It's so infuriating every damn year, JJ, every damn year. The Mets, they give you a little bit of hope and they flush it down the toilet. They didn't do shit at the deadline. I want, I want the front office revamped already. It's ridiculous. I mean, we knew we had problems with the starting pitching at the deadline. We knew we had start, uh, problems with the bullpen at the deadline. They didn't do a damn thing to address that. They get Javi Baez, who strikes out five times, gets five strikeouts. The, the platinum sombrero, it, I mean, it's, it's incredible, incredible that they can't go into Florida or Miami, whatever you want to call it, and in a series they need to win, they can't pull off a win. Miami won, won, what, 35 games this year, and they can't do that? A pathetic, pathetic performance by the Mets this week. It was a hideous series, and it was a hideous Thursday for Javi Baez. We've seen the good with Javi Baez. We've also now seen the bad with Javi Baez. And that's why, listen, we're not going to get into the narratives of what the Mets are going to do in the offseason because they're trying to win a division title. They're trying to play October baseball. There's still an eternity left in this season, but I am thinking long and hard about giving Javi Baez an extension. That is not somebody I'm investing in in the long term. This is not about the Met bullpen. The Met bullpen has enough arms to be successful. The Met bullpen has thrown well this year. You need to score more runs. Stroman, McGill, Walker this weekend. They might have some trouble with the Philadelphia lineup. Philadelphia right now is feeling their oats offensively. The Mets need to score. They need to have a big week. Good at bats. Driving in runners with runners on base. Hitting the ball out of the ballpark. We keep waiting for it, folks. April, May, June, July. Four months have gone. The Mets are one of the worst offensive teams in baseball. With the talent on this roster, it's hard to believe, but that's what the numbers say. One of the worst offensive teams in all baseball. That's eye-opening, folks. And their struggles offensively, combined with the pitching now regressing, is why you're in this predicament. Who's next? JJ, Mike in Westport. Wow, what a Mets game. Five bias, five strikeouts. I mean, what a pickup this guy is going to be. You know what? This team is, has been so full of itself. You know what? You see them on the bench when they're winning. They're carrying on, and they got the home run horse, and Lindor's carrying on. He's got their purple sneakers and the red hair and all this kind of nonsense. What have they won? 
You know, what do they want to be so full of themselves? Then you see they go down to Miami. They did, they lose three out of four to this terrible team. And you know what? I'm watching this game. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the football Giants last year in the NFC East. You know, all terrible teams in the division, and somebody's got to win it. You know what? But it's just like who knows if the Mets are going to be that team. But even if they do, just like just like uh, just like last year, the Redskins ended up winning the division and going nowhere in the playoffs. I'll say it's disheartening to watch this Mets team, though. You know, it's just like uh, they have a little bit of good luck, and they're full of themselves and carrying on. And and uh, you know what? They haven't won a damn thing, and it looks like they're going nowhere. And it, it's depressing to be a Mets fan these days. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Well, Mike, I appreciate it. I got to take you to task, though, on the antics in the dugout, because everybody loved when the Mets were having fun in the dugout when they're winning games. You can't now roast them for it after the fact. I want guys to have fun on the baseball field. I don't want them showing up their opponents. They want to have a little bit of fun. They want to do their home run horse or, you know, the Red Sox do their uh, shopping cart when they hit a home run. I'm all for these guys letting it rip and enjoying themselves a little bit. You just got to know when things aren't going well, you're going to get mocked by somebody like you specifically. You're going to mock them because you're going to be like, why aren't they having fun now? Well, because they're not hitting. Effort. It's always something that we like to question. Oh, it's a lifeless type of performance. We talk about it all the time. I say it all the time. It's not for a lack of trying. It's a lack of execution. The Mets are not hitting. They are not executing. That, to me, has been a big takeaway all season long. They have not done enough at the plate. You figured sooner or later that would change. It hasn't. That's why first place, to quote Paul Simon, is uh, slip sliding away. Who's next? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. JJ, how are you, my friend? Alex from Newark. You know what I like to hear on your show, little Tom Petty? Free falling, yeah. Free falling. Woo! How about those New York Mets playing in the Elite NL East? Woo, do we have a series this week? I forget the Yankees. I will take Yankees in this playoffs to have another metropolitan collapse. 06 was a disaster, ended oh so beautifully. Then 07, 08, which was just, I mean, better than any Yankee World Series. I don't care what anyone says, especially if you're immersed in the Met. Giddy. And now we might see it again, and we have a little series this weekend. You know I'm no fan of the Trapper Keeper, but let me tell you something. I'm going to get on my hands and knees, and I'm going to pray to the King, the King Fauci. And forget the Delta. I'll take the bubble variant. I'll take the lockdown variant. I'll take the computer crisp, the Don Lemon variant. I don't care. I'll wear the mask while I'm sleeping. Give me binder this weekend. Come on, trapper keeper. And then I want to hear a little Tom Petty. God bless you, my friend. Alex and Newark coming out hot. Um, couple of things there. The idea as me as a Yankee fan saying I would take more joy in 07 or 08 than the Yankees winning a World Series. No, I cannot do that. Did you find it humorous as a Yankee fan? I'm sure you did. If you tell me otherwise, you're, you're lying. Just like a Mets fan would be lying if they're going to say, oh, they didn't find 04 humorous or uh, Luis Gonzalez humorous. That's the nature of the Crosstown rivalry. That's the nature of it. So my priority from a fan standpoint, number one is the Yankees winning the divi- or winning a wild card spot. I can't even say the division. The winning uh, the division right now is still a pipe dream of five and a half. But I want to see my team playing in the postseason. On the Mets in a free fall, can't fight you on that, buddy. 
Can't fight you on that. And Alex, probably the biggest Girardi hater on the planet. Now, all of a sudden, all in on my dude. The last manager to win my beloved Yankees a World Series championship. Oh, how apropos, buddy. Look at you on board with Joey Binders. How about that? Crazy world we live in, my friends. Crazy world. Who's up next? Hey, John. This is Ryan from Greenville, South Carolina. Hope you're doing well, man. Hey, I appreciate your insight on the Knicks free agent signings from the last podcast. But, you know, after some thought, honestly, our only way of contending this upcoming year would be to hope that Dame and Kawhi force their way out and they go to New York. And we just hope and pray we have the cap space or the assets to even fill the team around them that can contend with Brooklyn or Milwaukee or any of these other teams this year. So honestly, I think having continuity, I think getting some more playoff experience, developing some players and remaining flexible, not looking all that bad right now. I mean, we're going to be fielding a slightly better team than we did last year too. So there's that. Love to get your take, man. Thanks. Well, listen, in a perfect world, of course, the Knicks would be in on Damian Lillard or the Knicks would be in on Kawhi Leonard or whoever the star player may be. Well, Kawhi's not leaving the Clippers. Damian Lillard is probably not coming to the Knicks. And you can't just sit there and be idle when you have a team that made the postseason. Now, knowing this front office, this front office is very dialed in is very checked in on what's going on with the star players. They're going to have to make a move at some point. They know for a fact at some point in time, they're going to look at their nice up-and-coming team and they're going to say, well, we got to push our chips to the middle of the table and go all in on somebody. Whoever that particular player may be, it still remains to be seen. That's going to happen. And that, to me, is going to be the move more than anything else that defines this Nick front office. Whenever that move comes, it's got to be the right player. It's got to be the right move to take the team to the next level. But in the meantime, you kind of bide your time. Rome was not built in a day. It's frustrating. You, as fans, always want to see that constant evolution. You want to see that constant build. But you have to understand in the NBA, it takes time. It takes time. Last... Well, certainly not least. What do we got? JJ, it's Mike and Stanford. That game was fucking awesome. You got to love how these two guys, Rizzo and obviously tonight Gallo, are contributing. I mean, it's just it's just great. It's just what we needed. I was at the game last night, and the buddy I was with in the, uh, in the bleachers was screaming to Judge to tell Gallo that he sucked because I think he went 0 for 4. And I texted him after the game. I said, I think he told Gallo, and uh, and Gallo really shut you up. Love it. These guys are awesome. Let's fucking go. I want the fuck division. I don't want the wild card. (laughs) Look at the Yankee fan getting greedy. The Yankee fan that was down and out as of two or three weeks ago now is talking division. Let's crawl before you walk, okay? The 10 over 500. They're finally playing winning baseball. The trade deadline moves have paid enormous dividends. Rizzo, listen, can they extend Anthony Rizzo tomorrow? The guy puts the ball in play, lefty power, gives you great at-bats, and plays unbelievable gold-glove caliber defense. Fits the team perfectly. Can they re-sign him tomorrow? And I was happy to see Gallo get involved. Listen, Gallo's a flawed player. 
And he's gotten off to a slow start. His bad plays at Yankee Stadium. I want to see a lot more of that over the next couple of weeks. Yankees need two of the next three. I will be at the stadium tomorrow night. Getting there early. I want my top gun, Garrett Cole bobblehead. So I'm either going to brave the elements of Friday, summer, New York City traffic, which is a disaster for anybody who lives in the area. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It absolutely sucks. I'm not looking forward to it, but we're going to buck up. We're going to take care of business. We're going to get to the game. Hopefully, I'm going to see Yankee win. And if they can find a way to take three out of four, go to Kansas City, go to Chicago and Iowa, and they're within two games of Boston for that doubleheader. Well, they got the Angels first in a makeup game. But that doubleheader, I'm planning on being at both games. I already have tickets for the night, Cap. I think I'm going to be at both games. I, I think I need to be at both games. It'll be a long day in the Bronx. Maybe we'll do a little green room in between games, and we'll have the podcast rocking and rolling right after the game. How's that sound? You know what sounds good? Not only the Yankees in the postseason. Football season. I've been in the lab the last few days. I'm formulating all the season totals, the divisions, this, that. I'm ready to rock. So I'm going to have folks on for the next couple of weeks who are going to help me, and they're going to help you. Remember Jerry Maguire? Help me help you. That's what we're going to do. Ariel Epstein over at Sports Grid. She's ready to rock for the season. She's got her favorite total she likes. She's going to join us next. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. So, Hall of Fame game was tonight. Was I dialed in? No, of course not. It's preseason football. As the great Joe Beningo told me a long, long time ago, it's like non-alcoholic beer. I I think it's a great comparison, quite frankly. But there are money-making opportunities as we get ready for the start of the season. There are win totals. There are odds to make the playoffs. There are division odds. There's just so much going on. MVP, player props. It's insane. So we, of course, love to talk beaks on this show. FanDuel is a big part of what we do. And this girl's been killing it for the last, I don't know, couple of years, but she's been killing it for me for years on the two platforms I've worked on, my previous employer and now here on New York, New York. Let's welcome in from Sports Grid, my good pal, Ariel Epstein. What's up, Ariel? What's up, JJ? I'm so glad that I'm able to come on New York, New York on a high note, considering the Yankees and (laughs) Araldis Chapman almost (laughs) choked again. But you know what? It's a happy day in New York. Well, Ariel, I would have needed a little bourbon, maybe even tequila, if that Mitch Hannigan ball actually found a way to go over the left field fence. Thankfully, it did not. Uh, you always need a little Pepto-Bismol handy when you're watching a Raldis Chapman pitch. But, you know, from an odd standpoint, from a wagering standpoint, I'm a little upset that I maybe didn't get invested in the Yankees to make the playoffs as of a couple of weeks ago because... Listen, I didn't think it was going to happen. They looked like a dead team walking. But you see the way things have kind of shaken out within the American League. The odds kind of indicate, right, 
they've changed dramatically from what they were maybe around the All-Star break to what they are right about now. It does help when you go 12 and six straight up after the all-star break now 13 and six after tonight's game, the Yankees, we were talking about this before we signed on JJ. I remember at the all-star break. Now I don't remember what kind of plus money it was in for the yes. What stood out to me at the all-star break was the no, the no for the Yankees to not make the playoffs for the Yankees to not make the playoffs was minus two ten. Heavy, heavy juice on the no. Basically telling us the Yankees season was over. Lock it up. Start being sellers at the deadline. I can't tell you the last time the Yankees were really sellers at a trade deadline. They ended up being buyers. And it worked in their favor because really quickly, these odds aren't up in baseball very often once the season's underway. Real quickly, just a couple of nights ago, I saw that the Yankees were one of four teams posted on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The Yankees were now at plus 110 to make the playoffs, which you'll say, well, it's still plus money. It's not like it was in the regular or in the preseason where the Yankees were minus 500 to make the playoffs. This was plus 110. But I'm telling you this, JJ, when I saw at the All-Star break, the Yankees to the no at minus 210, it had to be close to plus 180, two to one for the Yankees to make the playoffs. The odds are moving in their favor to go there. Okay. Now, as everybody gets ready for the NFL season, and that's the main reason we brought you here on this show, because everybody's getting their ducks in order, Ariel. They're getting their fantasy drafts ready. They're getting their season bets ready. There is a whole lot on the FanDuel Sportsbook site for anybody who's looking this weekend. Maybe they're at the beach. Maybe they're at the barbecue. Maybe they're hanging out at the bar. And they're, you know, talking some football. And they're like, well, I'm going to take this team as an over. Well, I'm going to take this guy to win the MVP. A lot of information. What would be your, generally, biggest piece of advice you give to the average casual better as they try to encompass everything that they have here and trying to maybe narrow that plate a little bit? My biggest piece of advice to a better is making sure that you just are smart about bankroll management. You have to sit on these bets for the next six months of the NFL season. How much are you willing to sit on it? The way I would limit my futures market bets, one or two per category, not every category, yet there are some that I'm targeting. I like the passing yard season long props, one rushing yard season long prop. And there's a few teams in the futures market, whether it's a win total or the AFC championship. There are a few futures bets that I'm willing to make. I don't go crazy on the futures just because unless it's some kind of long shot, like even the bills at 10 to one to win the Super Bowl. Aside for those, I it's still laying juice to essentially place these bets, even at even minus 112, where it's over under minus 112 to go over or under a passing yards prop for a season long passing yards. That's something I could bet on a normal game. So I'm not going to bet too many of those. Yet there are some that I feel I can get an edge on, especially because you're getting certain players with new teams or certain players that may not have had their quarterbacks last year that I feel you're getting some good buy low value. Just don't go crazy and don't go crazy early in the year either because there's still so much variance in what we're going to see. Okay. Give me a team you're buying stock in for 2021. Give me a team you're selling stock in when it comes to 2021. Buy, sell. I feel like we're on CNBC, but give me a sense, Ariel. Buying the Buffalo Bills. JJ, how many curses have we seen broken in sports in the last decade? A lot. A lot. The Washington Capitals, the Cubs, the Red Sox. Nationals, yeah, fair. Exactly. 
The Buffalo Bills are next on my list. The Bills have to win a Super Bowl. I love them at 10 to 1 to do so. They have the experience now. They have the number one wide receiver in Stephon Diggs, a second year with Josh Allen, who did advance that passing game last year. All the Bills needed to focus on was getting the defense last year to look how it did two years ago. Sean McDermott's a defensive-minded coach. He's the head coach of the Bills. If all he has to do is work on and honing his own craft and building up the defense, Buffalo is going to be the most complete team in the AFC. And I know people will laugh at me because of the Chiefs. The Chiefs offensive line is still suspect. They added to it. We'll see how they do. And everyone knows what they're getting out of the Chiefs. And their secondary is a mess. I think the Bills still have a really good shot of actually beating the Chiefs this year and advancing to the Super Bowl. Now, for the team that I'm selling, J.J., I am selling the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am not a fan of this team. I'm betting the team total under six and a half wins on this team. You're talking about a team that had one win last year. The same thing happened to the Cincinnati Bengals two years ago, the worst team in the NFL. They get the first pick in the draft. They get a quarterback in Joe Burrow, who's supposed to be their franchise quarterback. Granted, he could be. They didn't get more than a couple or what, three, four wins last year. You're not getting five, six more wins with a rookie quarterback, a rookie running back, and a coach that's never coached in the NFL before. I'm sorry, way too many numbers, way too many wins to have to get after only having one last year. I'm selling on the Jaguars. Hefty total for the Jaguars, buying stock in the Bills. So obviously you would play them to win the division, even though the odds are juiced crazily. Although they're only minus, you know what? Ariel, I thought I saw it at Buffalo minus like 190 or 195 the last time I took a look at this. I'm only seeing Buffalo at minus 150 currently to win the division. Would you hop? You'd hop on that, I assume, right away if you like them to win the Super Bowl at 10 to 1. 150, fair bet. There, yeah, it's still another one that you're going to have to sit on heavy juice for six months. I'd rather just take the Bills in a game or something. Yes, I think that the Bills are going to win the division. I can't see any other team beating the Bills unless there's some catastrophic injury. I would just rather take the Bills where I feel they could have more value, which is the AFC, the Super Bowl. If I was going to bet a division, JJ, this is called New York, New York, and I don't know how much you take into the New Jersey, uh, the New Jersey teams that are New York. I'm just kidding. I know that you focus on them, but the New York Giants plus 440. Those odds have moved in their favor. I'm thinking around three to one range now. Yeah, was, I'm seeing it at 390 over a FanDuel yeah. Sportsbook, Ariel. It's funny it you like the Giants there. So basically, to me, if you're betting the Giants to win the division, you're banking on the fact that this is going to be a major step forward for Daniel Jones. Half, yes. The other half is this division still not that great. No, it's not good. <laughs> See, I would sell on Dallas. Dallas, to me, at plus 130, not interested with no. their defense. The team I like, though, is the Washington football team because I think they're well-rounded. I think they are got they, skill position. You have See, faith I think in Ryan are. Fitzpatrick? I think that offense is better than you think. They can run the football. I like McCorrin. And not only with Fitzmagic, Heineke last year, let's not lose sight of the fact that he played well against Tom Brady in a playoff game, for goodness sakes. And yes, I know Fitzpatrick has never made the playoffs. I think 2021, the Fitzpatrick-Heineke duo, somehow, some way, wins this awful NFC. So I'll counter your Giants with Washington. Here's okay? the thing, though, that bothers me a little bit. And it's only because early in the preseason, when these odds first came out, Washington, for whatever reason, was booked at plus 550. And I said on the morning after on Sports Grid, I said, you have to jump in on those Washington football team, on that football team right now. Because plus 550 to have the worst odds in the division behind the Eagles, the Giants, and the Cowboys is completely wrong. The book got it wrong because a couple of weeks later, 
Washington had the second best odds to win the division. Now it's hard for me because I think back to a few months ago where you could have had Washington at plus 550. Now you're not getting them as good a value. It's still value though, because they're not the favorites. I just think that the Giants are really balanced too, as long as Kenny Galladay can stay healthy and not have hamstring issues like we've already seen early in the preseason. Okay, Miami, New England, two fascinating teams in the AFC. Two teams with legitimate playoff chances. New England spent a boatload of money in free agency. Miami got a ton of speed around my dude, Chua. Ariel, if you had to bet one of those teams right now to go over their win total. I know you like Buffalo. I know you got Buffalo winning the AFC. But if Miami or New England's going to go over for their win total, who do you like more? I like Miami more than I like, like New England. I think you're just trying to suck up a little bit on the show. I Why? appreciate that. I don't know. I, I kind of get the sense you couldn't you couldn't say New England. Then you'd be sucking no. up the Simmons, for goodness sake. If sakes. New England had a quarterback, I would be all in on the quarterback with a head coach. I don't believe in Cam Newton at all. I'm with you there. And I think we're going to see Mac Jones sooner rather than later. It's just Me a too. question away. Cam, Cam's going to start. He's going to be the week one starter. That's my thought. I've seen those odds go from minus 180 on FanDuel to minus 300. I just can't see him lasting. And that always scares me for teams to make the playoffs, for teams to go over their win total if there's an uncertain quarterback situation. I feel the same way about the San Francisco 49ers. Why do I want to bet on a team that's going to look to replace their starting quarterback midway through the year? It's just inconsistent. And how about the Niners favored in that division? Now, I had them pigeonholed as a team that would bounce back without question. Everything went wrong for them a year ago. A little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. I think they're going to be good. But the Rams have this loaded defense and Matthew Stafford now brought into the equation. I figure when those odds came out for the NFC West, you would see the Rams favor. That had a surprise, you know? Yeah, but the thing is, this division's been moving all over the place. I've seen it flip. I've seen it go from 49ers, Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals have never been favored, but I've seen this line flip between those top two teams and the Rams and the 49ers, it's gone back and forth a few times. People still sleeping on Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I wouldn't sleep on them. JJ, isn't it amazing? Because we both love football and baseball. There are loves. You look at the NFC East, the NFC West, compare it to the NL East and the NL West. They're so comparable. The I NFC like that comparison East there. And the yeah. NL East, those two, two terrible divisions, yet they're really close. You don't know who's going to come out on top. You could probably bet the dog every week and come out profitable because someone who was at the bottom at one point is going to come out on top. And then for the NFC West, it's so close because the teams are so good. The same thing with the National League West in baseball. I love the comparison. It's really weird how it's worked out that way. I think about the Browns two years ago. Remember, they were like the sexy team. Everybody was all in on them. Always. Baker, uh, Beckham, this guy, that guy. And they fell flat on their face. I'm getting the sense. I'm leaving the Browns out of it for a second. I actually think they're going to be very good this year. Beckham scares me a little bit. But the reason I brought up that example is because I always try to find a team, Ariel, that everybody is drooling over throughout the preseason. Because anytime I hear that, I'm likely to go the other way. I'm going to tell you who I think that team is. The L.A. San Diego Chargers. Everybody is drooling, drooling, drooling the Chargers. They're drooling Herbert. They're drooling the fact that they got a new coach. They lost all these close games. Here's what I know about the Chargers. They find ways to lose. I think they're getting way too much love. I think they are way too overhyped. And I am looking to sell them every which way. And I think Herbert's a stud. I'm not trying to disparage there, but I think they're getting way too overrated going into this season. 
The thing that's going to be interesting about Herbert is how well he adapts year two. Year two is always the year to figure out how good a quarterback is. Last year, the game was so close between the Chargers and the Chiefs because that was the Chiefs not knowing Herbert was going to start. The Chargers didn't even know Herbert was going to start. People didn't really have film on him because he wasn't supposed to be the starter. Granted, as the week, as the year went on, he still had closed games. Yet, your two to me is how good are you? And now every team knows what your tendencies are. Every defense knows your tendencies. They have so much tape on you. How do you adjust now that these teams know how to prepare, especially in your own conference and your own division? That's what we'll have to find out in year two. I don't like to bet uncertainty. I don't like to bet with players that are in year two with a year two quarterback or a year one quarterback, unless I'm taking unders. Otherwise, I stay away from the Chargers too. I don't fully believe in what we could see in year number two yet. I would love to see maybe for year three. That's where I see like with the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bills, I targeted year three last year. They had such low win totals all the time and they hit their win total two years ago by Thanksgiving. And it was still just one win higher than where it was two years ago last year. So I said, wow, this is great by low value. Of course, that's what I would look to with the Chargers. Take note of what their win total is this year and see what it is again next year because year three is when you could probably get the good by low value. Is there any way we can find an MVP candidate who's not a quarterback? I, I, that's a tough it, one. Don't you see, get the sense, Ariel, they love giving it to quarterbacks no matter what? Like, I'd love to make a case for, like, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, I like them to make the playoffs. I think they'll win the division. He's a beast. Even if he runs for 2,000 yards, I get the sense... Whoever the hot flavor of the month quarterback may be, is probably going to win the award. Here's the thing. You're hitting a really soft spot for me because in the Super Bowl last year, and you may have saw this on Twitter, I was all over the linebacker for the Bucs, Devin White, to win Super Bowl MVP. I was obsessed with Devin White. He had at least 10 tackles in every playoff game he played in, including the Super Bowl, had the game-stealing interception. The problem was it wasn't a close game. If it was a close game at 100-1, to Devin White should have won Super Bowl MVP last year. This is why it is so difficult for me to have to go and place a bet on someone who's not a quarterback for these awards. You're just seeing no matter how well these players play, even if statistically they're playing better than the quarterback is in their own position, it doesn't matter because the quarterback is always the storyline, especially if it's a huge name like Aaron Rodgers. Russell Wilson has the sob story that he's never won it, even though he's come close and never got the votes. You've got Tom Brady. You've got Patrick Mahomes. These names are just so big that for whatever reason, we can't get a Derrick Henry to win this award. Final one. Your favorite preseason season total. You can only give me one over under. For the wins. Forget about division. Forget about conference. Ariel Epstein, you got to go on record right now and give me a season total. What's it going to be? I told you this before. I'm going under six and a half wins for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't see this team getting six more wins than they did last year. There's going to be growing pains. And maybe at the end of the year, we see the Jaguars figure it out. But at first, when you have a new quarterback who's new to the NFL, a new head coach who's only coached in college, I could see there being a lot of issues early on in the season for them. Well, I thought Ariel was a big fan of sunshine, but I think she's rooting for a whole lot of cloudy days in Jacksonville. Sorry, I just had to pull that one out. That just came to the top of my head. And you never know what happens this time of the night. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't be a stranger throughout the football season. And I'm in Vegas, by the way, in two weeks. Uh, am I ready to check out the Circa? I, I, I think I'm ready to check out the Circa. Have you never been? Circa. 
Never been. <gasps> I'm excited. Oh my gosh, you've got to go to Stadium Swim. You're going to have the best time. I may time. have to make an appearance on Monday or Tuesday. We're taking a show. Uh, we're doing a little West Coast trip right before Labor Day weekend. That's so. incredible. Have the best time, JJ. You're going to absolutely love it. They have amazing drinks there. So enjoy. And they all, they have alcohol in them. I heard you at the beginning oh, of the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm not the no alcohol yeah, beer no, thing. No, yeah. I, the non-alcoholic beer is not for me. Thanks no. for joining us, Ariel. We'll Thanks, talk soon. JJ. Ariel's got me ready for week one already. I'm not going to lie. I've looked at a couple of week one lines. Does that make me a little sick in the head? Yeah, I think it might make me a little sick in the head. But that's why we do what we do. That first football Sunday of the year, it's like Christmas morning, baby. It's like Santa's coming to town. I might blast Bruce Springsteen. Santa Claus is coming to town when I'm dancing, getting ready for a four o'clock Dolphin Patriot game. Got to put the wager in with Billy Boy. Billy Boy's been awfully quiet with those Red Sox. Awfully, awfully quiet with those Red Sox this week. It's the way I like it. It's the way I like it. Now, we got a little fun feature in store for next week. We're going to do a little countdown. I want you guys to be involved. Voicemails, tweets, all that good stuff. We're going to put together a list. Right here and right now, starting Sunday. The top 15 athletes in New York City. And I'm not talking guys that are playing for other teams. New York athletes on any of the major sports teams. Sorry, soccer does not count. Baseball, football, basketball, hockey. I love you, Saruti, but the soccer can't count because I won't know who the hell we're talking about. You know what I mean, bro? I just, I have no idea who the hell I'm talking about. So from everybody's standpoint, if there's a really good soccer player in town, we're omitting him. Fair enough? There are, so you're okay. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Saruti knows exactly who we're talking about, so... I don't need to make a fool of myself. But baseball, basketball, football, hockey. We'll give you 15 to 10, my list, on Sunday. We'll do 5 to 10 on Tuesday in addition to our trivia. And we will do 1 to 5 next Thursday. So I was thinking about this. I've been carving out my list over the last few days. We will unveil it. So this should be a lot of fun. And I hope you guys have some fun weighing in on this. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who belong where? All that good stuff. One more thing before we get to Jeff Money. Had an opportunity to play Sabonic the other day out in Southampton. My goodness, what a golf course. It ate my lunch. I don't think I've spent that much time at the beach since I was eight or nine years old. I mean, my goodness, there was a bunker on fairways, in the middle of fairways, around the green, relentless. But a masterful course. Everybody was great. My guy Johnny, who's been calling with Golf Beaks for years, took care of the round. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. So can't say enough good things about Sabonic and the be- and, the, and the, the views. I mean, I, I know I'm going to sound like the doctor in Seinfeld, but they were breathtaking. They were absolutely breathtaking. So the good news is if I would have hit the ball like that on one of my normal courses, I would have scored great. <laughs> you ain't breaking 100 on a place like that unless you were muy caliente and you're not hitting the ball in the sand traps. How about the time I'm putting par off the fringe, downhill slope, I put it into the bunker. You ain't breaking 100 doing that. So, Sabonic, highly recommend. Top-notch, top-notch course. Fabulous. Jeff Money time. I hope he's got a winner for you on Friday. Jeff Money, what do we got? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This could be for Friday to six. I got three games. Game number one, money play. I'm going to take the Cleveland Indians minus the 150 over the Tigers. It will be Quintera versus Manny. Quintera is 0-0 with a 1-0 his last three outings. And Manny is 0-3 
with an 8.19 ERA. The Indians are actually the 13 and 5 as a home uh, favorite it, uh, with a between 125 and 175. Game number two, I'm going to take the Blue Jays minus the 140 over the Red Sox. Okay, be Manhold versus. Uh, let's see, it's guy who's um, pitching there, but uh, Manhold is two and zero with a 1.54 ERA at home. Oh, Evalier is four and three with a 4.25 ERA on the road. So we'll go with the Jays number two. Game number three, I'm going to take another though. I'm going to go with the San Francisco Giants plus the 150 over the Brewers versus Webb versus Burns. Webb is one and zero with a 2.65 ERA his last three outings. And Burns is 2-0 with a 2.90 PRA at home. But the Giants, actually, they're 11-5 between a line of plus 125 and 175 as a road dog. So we got three games. Again, money play. We're going to go with the Indians minus the 150. We're going with the Blue Jays minus the 140. And we're going to go with the Giants plus the 150. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Love it, Jeff Money. Big card for you on a Friday. Um, I like the Giants with the way they've been winning games this year. And I know Burns is an absolute stud for Milwaukee, but the Giants getting plus 130 or 135 odds. Love the odds on that. Uh, Toronto's cooking. I mean, Toronto is just mashing everybody, and I don't trust the Red Sox. That line's already gone from 135 to 145. So we might have a family play in store with the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'd be leery Met fans right out of the gate. So the Mets open up at minus 115. Now Philadelphia is minus 115 with everybody betting the New York Mets, so it seems. How about the Braves, by the way? My goodness. The Braves were down against the St. Louis Cardinals, and they have taken an 8-4 to four lead. So you got another team making up some serious, serious ground within the National League East. Can't stress this enough. The Mets need a big weekend. Because, as Alex and Newark said earlier in this show, you don't want to be free-falling come Monday. We got a Spotify green room Saturday after the Met Philly game at around 7.30, 8 o'clock, download the app, follow my name, John Jastrzemski. You'll get notified. Calls, we'll do Mets, Yankees, Knicks, whatever the hell you want to do. But Spotify Green Room right after Mets and Phillies, our top 15 list that's coming up this week. Fellas, outstanding job. Everybody enjoy their weekend. Enjoy these last couple of hurrahs here in the month of August because it's the calm before the storm, baby. Football season is going to be here before you know it. I love my summer. I hate wishing away my summer. Nothing like those football weekends. JJ out. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Be good. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.